you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. This is a time of year that as a minister I always try to pick messages that are encouraging and focused on who we are in Christ and where we are going as Christians because funeral home directors will tell you, other ministers will tell you, this is the time of year when you have the most deaths, when you do the most funerals, just the way it is. And so I think it's also a time that people are reeling who have lost loved ones recently because holidays are coming up. You're going to be Some people are going to be spending their first Thanksgiving or the first Christmas without their loved one. And so that's kind of the the premise tonight is looking at a message of hope and encouragement in John chapter 5. Look with me starting in verse 1. It says, After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his mat and began to walk. Many of you remember the television show MASH? Remember that show? There were some more serious scenes in that silly show where surgeons and nurses would be in the surgical tent and inside this tent there were cots lining the walls people in severe trauma soldiers that were dealing with life-threatening wounds and you think about how difficult it would be to be a nurse or a doctor in that in that situation with the helicopters landing right and left bringing in the wounded and it all depends on you If you're the doctor or the nurse, really their lives are in your hands. And you work quickly and frantically to try to to help those who are in so desperate need. And in a way, that's how I picture the pool at Bethesda. You have these, these sick people that are sitting beside the pool, standing beside the pool, waiting for a superstition, a legend, because... You may not realize it, but the latter part of verse 3 and verse 4 are not in the original manuscripts. Many people think that they were added later to give an explanation as to why some people put their hope in these healing waters. There was a subterranean stream below the surface of this pool that at times it would cause a disturbance, causing the pool to be stirred up. And the legend was that an angel was actually causing it. And if you hopped into the pool after the angel stirred the waters, you would be made well. But imagine if you were someone who was lame or paralyzed, sitting on a pallet, standing there in, in a place, sitting there in a place where everybody else was standing around waiting for the waters to be stirred. Well, everybody's jumping in ahead of you, right? Everybody's jumping in to get that healing because it was every man for himself. And it's interesting that the word Bethesda actually means house of mercy. This was any place but merciful. 
There was no mercy to be had here, really. The only hope you had if you were sitting on a pallet paralyzed was that someone would give up their spot, that they would put you in the pool ahead of them so that you could find healing. It would have been a really cruel sight. And so you imagine this man paralyzed for 38 years, sitting by the pool, just hoping for a miracle, that someone would give up their spot and give them an opportunity. And Jesus, in the midst of all these sick individuals, walks up to this one man. Why he picked him, we don't know. But for whatever reason, he observes the pitiful scene and he walks up to this one particular man sitting on his pallet. Now understand that if you were someone who was lame, paralyzed at this day and time, you really had no hope. There wasn't government assistance. The only hope you really had was someone to pick you up and take you and sit you by the road so you could beg for money, beg for food, beg for water. So here this man is sitting on his pallet next to the pool at Bethesda, hoping that someone would give up their spot. And Jesus walks up to him and asks him a peculiar question, really. Do you want to be made well? Well, of course you want to be made well. You've been paralyzed for 38 years. I mean, what kind of question is that, right? If you had been blind... For 38 years, you'd want to see again. If you've been deaf for 38, you'd want to hear again. Whatever your ailment is, yeah, you want to get over it, right? I mean, why would he be sitting by this pool if he didn't want to be made well? Truth of the matter is, Jesus seemed to be the only one who cared in that moment, which shouldn't surprise us, right? Because all the other people gathered there were in it for themselves to get their own healing. The religious leaders of the day didn't care anything about the paralyzed man. Part of the reason for that is this concept known as retribution thinking, the idea that if you were sick or if you were afflicted with some malady that God must be mad at you, you must have done something wrong and so God is cursing you. That's what the people believed at that time, many of them. And if you had wealth and prosperity and all that, God must be blessing you. You must be doing something right. And so this man was completely cast off. The only hope he had was someone being generous enough to help him into the pool. Jesus approaches this man. And he says to him, do you wish to get well? Or as the King James states it, wilt thou be made whole? And again, seems like a silly question. But in the 1960s, there was a gentleman by the name of Martin Seligman, a psychologist, who made a new discovery. He dubbed it learned helplessness. You ever heard of learned helplessness? It's the idea that when animals or humans are subjected to difficult situations that they cannot control, they just stop trying to escape. They simply give up and become passive. And I've known human beings to exhibit this kind of behavior. In counseling with folks for many years, you see this type of behavior, and you can really kind of understand it depending on what the situation is. There are some people who have been knocked down at every turn, and they just finally say, you know what, what's the worth? What's, what's it worth trying? I mean, I'm just going to get defeated again. There are those who have been dealing with an illness for so long, they just give up and wait to die. There are some that experience this learned helplessness in a spiritual sense. God can never forgive me for all that I've done. It's not even worth it to come to church, to pray about it, to seek salvation, because God's never going to forgive someone like me. Our world is filled with people who are not well. But it's not so easy to make a diagnosis, not always. We come to church. We walk through the doors. 
People come up to us and ask, how are you? And we say, better than I deserve. I'm fine. I'm okay. When we're not. Some of you had a fight with your spouse on the way to church. Some may have looked at porn right before they came to church. Some are dealing with difficult situations. And they come to church and they put on a mask and they act like everything is okay when inside they are falling apart. And this should be a place filled with cellophane Christians. This should be a place where where we are transparent, where people can see that we are struggling. But so often, church is a place for the dressed up when it should be a place for the messed up, right? You know, ladies put on their makeup and they look all pretty, but underneath the facade, they're dying inside. Men dress up and, you know, they look nice and you know, you can look around you tonight and you see people that are dressed so nice and you know, their hair is combed, and, but inside they're dying. We must never forget that we are a church filled with human beings and where you have people, you have problems, right? And this is the one place where people should be able to come who are messed up and broken and find healing. Unfortunately, I see it all the time. People who are dealing with difficulties in life and the one place they should be turning to is the one place they turn away from. They don't feel like they can get help and healing at church. If they're vulnerable, if they let somebody know, they're afraid they'll be judged. They're afraid, they're afraid somebody will talk about them at work the next day. And you know what? You know, that, that is really a legitimate fear, right? Because there are some Christians that would do that that would absolutely talk about them the next day at work, or that would absolutely judge them. Absolutely, that's true. Hopefully not here. I think we have a really good environment and atmosphere here. But you can understand why folks would be hesitant to bear their souls and to ask other people to bear their burdens. The one place where messed up people should feel that they can be made whole It's the one place that they so often feel like that they can't be themselves. All too often, church is thought of as a place for people who have it all together. The poor paralytic man had waited 38 years to walk. Might as well have been a, a, a million in his mind. He's never really known what it's like to walk to be free to run. When Jesus asked the question, wilt thou be made whole or do you want to be made well? I think Jesus knew something that that we don't. I think he saw into his heart and maybe, maybe this man had learned helplessness. Maybe he had just decided, you know what, why even try? I mean, nobody's going to ever let me in that pool. I'm never going to be able to walk again. I am resigned to this mat and begging. Maybe he had never really considered the ramifications. And maybe Jesus is kind of within his question pointing that out. Because if he was to get well, he couldn't rely on begging anymore. He'd actually have to get up and do something, get to work and all that, right? In some ways, his life would be made harder. Maybe this man's heart was in a state where he just felt like nothing could be done and he'd given up hope. 
And maybe your heart is in that state as well. Maybe you need to be made whole. Maybe you're paralyzed in your heart. Jesus' question to the paralytic man went below the surface, and it was a probing question that had to do with more than just limbs. There's a billboard in Birmingham, Alabama that reads, Limp in and leap out. It's for a place that uh, sells shocks for your car. But it's a great slogan for John chapter 5. It'd probably be a great slogan for us, a great sign to put out on our, outside our church. Limp in, leap out. The man responds to Jesus' seemingly unusual question with these words. He says, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. We can detect the hopelessness in this man's voice. You can read it. He had no idea that the man speaking to him was his hope, right? All he would need to do to be made whole would be to trust in the one who was standing right in front of him. This man had come to the pool of Bethesda, the supposed house of mercy, but it wasn't until he encountered Jesus that he found mercy. Jesus says to the man, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And you think, excuse me? Jesus is commanding this man to do the impossible? But hey, what's he got to lose? He's been resigned to this pallet for 38 years. Why not try it, right? And he gets up, and sure enough, he's able to walk. He had spent most of his life with his back on that mat, and now he's carrying that mat on his back. And you think, why did Jesus say, get up and carry your mat and walk? You'd think you'd want to leave that thing far behind and never see it again. But Jesus says, no, take it with you so you can show everybody what I've done. So you can be reminded of where you used to be and who you are now. And everybody can see that this man who couldn't walk for 38 years, is now carrying around his house, basically. It's also interesting to note that Jesus didn't pick out somebody at the pool who had some sort of hidden malady, like some of our faith healers do today, you know. Didn't have like an earache or something. There was no question that Jesus had done some healing. I'll pick a guy who hadn't walked for 38 years and he'll walk. I'll show you that I am the Son of God, that I am the Christ. But not everyone was impressed. The Jewish leaders, for instance, weren't impressed because it was a Sabbath, right? And, and the Sabbath was to be kept holy. Now, the Jewish leaders came up with all sorts of minute details and regulations surrounding the law concerning the Sabbath, 39 to be exact, and they were mainly ridiculous and just absolutely silly. So Jesus is also proving the point that, look, I, I'm the Son of God. If I want to heal somebody on the Sabbath, I'm going to do it. And if somebody is in need, you take care of that need. I don't care what day it is. Him carrying around his mat on the Sabbath and you looking at that as wrong because it's work is ridiculous. Look at the man's legs. They're working. That's what's important, right? This man couldn't walk, and now he could walk. You should have been the ones ministering to this person. You should have been taking care of him, but instead you condemned him, believing that God didn't have any use for him. And now he's made well, and instead of celebrating, you're pointing out that he's carrying around a mat on the Sabbath. How ridiculous is that? Now, we won't go into verses 18 and following tonight, but... 
It's there that Jesus defends his right to heal on the Sabbath. And his defense basically is that God doesn't stop working because it's a particular day of the week. Even on the Sabbath, God's compassion and mercy still act. It doesn't take a time out. Plus, Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath, so he wasn't bound by some petty man-made traditions. He was the Son of Man, and if the Son of Man wants to heal on the Sabbath, then he's certainly well within his right to do that. But the Pharisees had been blinded by their own self-imposed restrictions. When questioned by the Jews, the man told them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your mat and walk? But the man didn't know the name of the one who healed him. He didn't know his true identity. All he knew was that he now had working legs. It was sometime later in the temple that Christ revealed himself to this man. That's a part of the story we often forget. But there's another encounter. Christ says to the man, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The King James reads, behold, thou art made well. Sin no more lest a worse thing come unto thee. Thou art made whole. You think about that statement. The man had been healed physically, but apparently he wasn't whole yet. Because as Jesus encounters him in the temple, he says, go and sin no more. In other words, the healing of his physical ailment was just a means to an end. He really needed healing for his soul. Jesus always had an ulterior motive. And it was always about the soul of an individual. It was always about, it was always about revealing his identity. Now he had done that. The man now knew who his healer was. He had met him face to face. It was, it was Jesus, the name above all names. But Jesus' primary concern for this man was not his physical well-being. Because this man would, would die eventually even though he may walk until he does, and he hadn't walked before, he's going to die eventually. So what's more important? Thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. The man needed more than a cure for paralysis. He needed a cure for sin. He needed more than a working pair of legs. He needed someone to make him clean and give him a clean heart. And the only one who could heal his legs was the only one who could give him a clean heart. Cured of his bodily disease, he must be cured of his spiritual disease as well. And Christ told him, get up and walk. And then he told him, sin no more. This man could walk away whole, whole in body and soul. Now, you know me well enough to know that by now there, there's more to the story, right? When you look at the context and what is going on here, when you know the story, that we've talked about on Sunday mornings. You see something here. You see a bigger picture. The theme of the Bible and the story of Israel is always at the heart of it all. The crippled man by the pool represents Israel. When the people couldn't make it on their own, God intervened. He stretched out his hand, his mighty hand, and he rescued his people from slavery. God led them to freedom, and over and over again, he rescued them. He rescued them from their self-inflicted wounds. But the lame man by the pool also represents another group of folks. And you know who it is? It's the Gentiles, those who had no heritage to rely on to save themselves. Jesus came to heal them as well. He showed them love and respect that the Jewish leaders did not. He assigned value and worth to them. He did what the Jews should have been doing, which was reaching out to those people who were poor and destitute. One of the undeniable proofs that the kingdom had come stemmed from the fact that people suffering from various diseases 
were healed. The only one capable of driving out demons or making the lame walk again or causing the blind to see or the deaf to hear or the mute to speak is the anointed one, the one who came bringing the kingdom of God. And have you noticed over and over again, the kingdom of God seems to be at the heart of Jesus' teaching, seemed to be his favorite subject. Miracles of Jesus, like this one here in John chapter 5, left no doubt that the God of Israel was once again in the midst of the people. The miracles that Jesus performed fulfilled that Old Testament prophecy. You see, anytime God sent a new word, he sent miracles to confirm that word. He did with Moses in the Old Testament, and he did with Jesus in the New Testament, right? He sent a new word, and he sent signs to confirm that word. Jesus was revealing to the people through the different miracles Not just that he was compassionate and that he wanted to see people walk again. He was revealing that he is the one that the law and the prophets pointed to. He was the Son of God. He was the Anointed One, the Messiah. Jesus came to do precisely what the prophets of old said that he would come to do. The Messianic prophet speaks of God becoming king at last, which means the end of exile, the defeat of evil, and the return of Israel's God to Zion. And all of that becomes the major theme of Jesus' life and public ministry, as well as the interpretation of his death. God has a plan, always has. And his plan is to redeem and to restore. And all the miracles of healing that we read about in the Gospels are just snapshots of the redemption and the restoration. Jesus heals the physical brokenness of individuals for a bigger purpose, and that bigger purpose is to bring people closer to him. God and Jesus aren't just interested in helping people get well physically, although they are interested in that. The more pressing problem is sin and spiritual healing. And as the great high priest, Jesus is bringing God to the people by fully revealing God to us. And he is bringing us to God by taking away our sins. That's why Jesus came to this earth to reveal God to us and to bring us closer to our mediator. He reigns and rules as mediator, bringing grace and mercy and forgiveness. This is the reign of the Son of Man. Jesus is the one through whom the Father currently reigns. He is the one, as Isaiah prophesied, that the Father has anointed to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound. He is the one who came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all those who mourn. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. So Jesus healing a crippled man at Bethesda is more than an isolated incident where Jesus just wanted to show compassion. Jesus is healing of a crippled man sitting beside a pool at Bethesda was about announcing the arrival of the anticipated Messiah. The one the prophets had spoken of was in their midst, which meant that the kingdom had arrived, which also meant that Israel's hope had arrived, which also meant that the Gentiles now had hope. The arrival of the anointed one meant healing and wholeness for all those who were spiritually crippled. I love how Paul states it in Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. I want to ask you tonight, are you suffering from a diseased heart? 
Are you paralyzed by sin? Do you want to be made whole? I do not want to make light of your situation by saying, you know, you just got to let go and let God. All those pious, churchy statements don't really help in the moment, do they? Like we said this morning, some of you are living in darkness. And there is hope. And some of you say, well, yeah, but Chris, you don't know my darkness. And I would say, you're right. But do you know my God? God has a plan. There is always hope. Don't leave here without it. If you're living in darkness, let us help you. Will you be made whole? Clinton's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?